Welcome to the United States of Health blog podcast. I'm Rebecca Cooney, North American Executive Editor of The Lancet. The second paper of our new Lancet series, America, Equity and Equality in Health, is called The Affordable Care Act, Implications for Healthcare Equity. In this podcast, we'll talk with author Adam Gaffney. It's really my pleasure to have a chance to talk with you about the paper, and in a way, this is sort of a debriefing for all of us after having gone through the process of putting together the series. And this paper in particular about the Affordable Care Act was pretty tricky because, you know, after a period of stability, the last six months has been pretty tumultuous, and more than ever, we're in this period of uncertainty about some of the fundamental mechanisms that govern our healthcare system. So it's really a singular time in the country's history. For most of us who are fairly familiar with the Affordable Care Act and especially breaking it into talking points and such, we usually frame it as having been a fairly successful piece of legislation in terms of achieving at least some of those primary goals, which were to expand access to protect patients from arbitrary actions by insurance companies. And then where it gets a bit murkier is the how to reduce costs. And your paper is clearly a more granular and nuanced look at the effects of the ACA. Let's walk through some of, to begin with, the positive outcomes that the ACA has achieved. For example, starting with expanding coverage gains. The bigger expansion of coverage was accomplished through two main provisions. One was the expansion of Medicaid. You know, so Medicaid is a program that was signed into law by Johnson in 1965. And the law originally was meant to provide a healthcare safety net for low-income folks, but really low-income people of specific categories, mothers with young children, the disabled, the blind, for instance. And what the Affordable Care Act did is expand the eligibility for Medicaid to everyone earning up to 138% of the federal poverty level, which had a major effect on expanding coverage to perhaps around 13 million people. Now, the effect would have been larger had it not been for a Supreme Court decision that allowed states to decline to expand Medicaid. The law had been written for every state to do this, but as a result of this decision, 19 states have not expanded their Medicaid programs. And then another provision by which it expanded health care access and coverage was through the private insurance system. Essentially, on the one hand, the law required that people who are not otherwise insured get insured, and then it provided subsidies for individuals and families to buy plans on the so-called marketplaces. These plans were regulated in addition to being subsidized. They had certain requirements, certain essential health benefits had to be covered in all, you put all these programs together, at least um, 20 million people gained coverage as a result of the Affordable Care Act. And I think that was probably the most significant change brought about by the Affordable Care Act was that expansion of coverage. That being said, still many people remain uninsured in the United States, around 28 million as of last year. So it was certainly a step towards greater coverage, but there's a lot that remains to be done. I think in order for it to be a useful paper, really, you know, having the balance of talking about the shortcomings is important as well. So let's get into some of those. I think that there's there are definitely some problematic pieces in terms of the long-term sustainability of portions of the Affordable Care Act. Where do you see the biggest issues being? The biggest issues are not so much things that the Affordable Care Act did, but things that the Affordable Care Act failed to do. 
So, for instance, the biggest one is basically what I already alluded to was that um, although it had expanded coverage to 20 million or more people, it still left about 28 million people uninsured. And so we still have a significant problem in the, in the United States, unlike most of our other high-income peer nations, in which we have a large percentage, a significant percentage of the population that remains uninsured, even if you know, Republican plans to repeal the Affordable Care Act come to naught. Now, looking at that picture from a different perspective, we also have a lot of disparities and inequalities that remain. So among those who are uninsured, they're more likely to be people of low income, not surprising. They're more likely to be racial minorities, Hispanic or black, as compared to white racial background. So the Affordable Care Act ameliorated unquestionably some of these inequalities. It attenuated some of the inadequacies of the American healthcare system, but those gaps remain. And in fact, the gaps were so large prior to the Affordable Care Act that despite how large the law was, they remain quite large even in the era of the Affordable Care Act's full implementation. Now, you also mentioned how some of the political maneuvering worked to kind of undermine what the effects might have been. Perhaps you could touch a little bit on the balance between the provisions as outlined in the Affordable Care Act and then in the actual implementation. And I think in the paper, there's a great example of this with regard to contraception. So maybe you could kind of speak to that point. Absolutely. One aspect where this came true, which I already mentioned, was the fact that states are not expanding their Medicaid programs. As a result of that Supreme Court decision, 19 states have, for largely political reasons, decided not to expand their Medicaid programs as the ACA outlined. And in fact, they could have had 100% funding to do that from the federal government up front and up to no less than 90% funding in the long term. So that was a big way in which U.S. politics completely changed the way the law was supposed to be implemented. And then, yes, I speak a little bit about contraception, and that's based on you know a number of studies that I cite. The Affordable Care Act wisely made preventive health care services free at point of use, meaning that there will be no co-payments. And under the umbrella of preventive health care services, it was wisely determined that contraception should fall into that under that umbrella. It's a you know, form of pre- preventive reproductive health care. Now, as we mentioned in the piece, how that's actually been implemented has been problematic. Insurers have decided that certain types of contraception don't fall under that umbrella, certainly male condoms, for instance. Also, the way billing is used, um, how a visit is coded by a physician. And there's been some progress made along this front. But yes, I mean, the way that things are intended to play out is not always the way they actually play out. A third example I'll give of this relates to what some private insurers have done in terms of raising co-payments very high for medicines for certain diseases. So one of the things the Affordable Care Act was meant to do, was, and it did do, was get rid of pre-existing condition discrimination and not allow insurers to either decline to insure someone because of a medical condition or to charge them more because of that medical condition, to charge them higher premiums. That makes sense. We don't think people should be punished for having illnesses, or at least many of us don't. But one thing that some insurers did, and again, we're citing the the work of others here, is to essentially charge very high copayments for all the drugs within a certain class. So for instance, all HIV medications can be priced at very high cost sharing, very high copayments. And in a way that functionally discriminates against people with, with HIV, because why would they want to be part of this plan where they're going to have such high cost exposure? So those are a few different ways in which 
the law did not play out exactly as intended and to the detriment to people with particular health care needs. You just naturally led into the question of costs. And I think the greatest issue currently that everyone is contending with is affordability and, and what are the major drivers in increasing costs and how can they be curtailed. And so I'm curious, in other words, how do you think the Affordable Care Act, you know, all things being held equal, how could the Affordable Care Act be fixed in this sense? Well, that's the question, you know, and people have different answers of this. And I can give you my own thoughts on it, but there's certainly a spectrum of answers. So, I mean, first off, there's obviously some people on the right-wing side who just want to repeal it or who think that the way to fix the problems of the ACA in terms of premium costs is by degrading the requirements on insurers. You know, for instance, the some Republicans in the House of Representatives don't want the requirement that certain plans cover essential health benefits. Uh, they want that to be next or the requirement that people not be charged different premiums based on health conditions. They want that next under the theory that that will cause premiums to fall. And they're right about that. Premiums would fall if you didn't have to cover anything. But the insurance would then be very inadequate and it would be skimpy and it wouldn't actually cover people's health care needs. And that doesn't make any sense. Then there are some ideas of how to deal with some of the dysfunction in the individual market. You know, right around the time of the election last year, there was a lot of news about very high premium increases under the so-called Obamacare exchanges. These are the marketplaces. And that you know, may have actually played a role to some extent. We don't know how much in the election. So there's different proposals to deal with that. There's talk of a public option, essentially a public plan that would compete with private plans in these marketplaces. Some people have also proposed increasing the subsidies to the plans to help people to make insurance more affordable. In our paper, we sort of conclude, after sort of surveying all of the different ins and outs of the Affordable Care Act, we conclude with our own suggestion, which would be more of a fundamental reform, single-payer health care reform, a move towards a universal system. And that system certainly would help in terms of costs at the time of use, because people wouldn't be paying for health care at the time they use it, but we would instead be paying for it through taxes. And there's also you know, ways that that sort of system can be used to control costs on a more of a global level. So we see a spectrum of different solutions that are being offered across the political spectrum. I think there's better evidence for some of them than others. In terms of the short term, and then the paper really does get into this in terms of what the future of the Affordable Care Act might be during this current administration, but in the short term, what do you think the biggest threats are? And really, are you optimistic about the sustainability of the ACA, or what do you think is likely to happen next? That's a million-dollar question, and it's hard to know. The politics are in flux right now. There is media reports coming out now that Republicans are regrouping after their last failed effort to repeal the Affordable Care Act. So the number one threat to the Affordable Care Act is, not surprisingly, its repeal and replacement. Republicans have been uh, promising to repeal the Affordable Care Act for seven years since it was passed. It's a major part of their platform. It's part of what many of them ran on. And so they are committed to its repeal. Now, now, we didn't know what that really would mean exactly, what they would replace it with, until Paul Ryan, who's the Speaker of the House of Representatives and a congressional Republican, came out with a bill early in March outlining their approach. It was from the perspective of health care equity, which is really the, the topic of our paper, it would have had detrimental effects. The Congressional Budget Office estimated that the bill would have resulted in 24 million people losing insurance over the next 10 years, which is quite astonishing. 
And it also would have made insurance less affordable for many people. For instance, by getting rid of the Affordable Care Act's income-adjusted premium subsidies, it would have made health care more unaffordable for many people. It uh, would have gotten rid of the cost-sharing subsidies that reduced co-payments and deductibles for many people, as low-income people as well. So the number one threat is going to be something along the lines of Paul Ryan's American Health Care Act, AHCA, which, to some people's surprise, actually you know, crashed and burned in March. It sort of divided the Republicans. Some wanted it to go farther. Many in the House felt that it was too tepid, that it didn't do enough to repeal the Affordable Care Act, whereas other more moderate Republicans, I think, were afraid of the political backlash from taking insurance away from so many people. Whether they'll be successful with a similar sort of bill in the future, I don't know. I do know that they're talking about it. They are in negotiations again, but it's going to be difficult for them to be successful, I think, for the following reason. I think that the core tenets and the principles of the idea of universal health care have really diffused the populace in a way that many people may not have been able to predict you know, 20 years ago. I think there's an increasing understanding or acceptance of the idea of universal health care in the United States that everyone should be covered. And I think it's very difficult to get through a law that's going to result in many people losing coverage. That being all said, that's the most direct threat to the Affordable Care Act. But assuming that doesn't happen, that doesn't mean that all is well in the United States. People are going to want change. As I mentioned, 28 million remain uninsured. One of the things we discussed in the paper is the problem of deductibles and copayments that are rising. $1,000 deductibles are now common. We have a table in the paper where we display the average deductibles for family coverage and market-based plans, and they were $11,600 for a bronze plan back in 2016. And so people are angry at feeling like they're being squeezed by the healthcare system, and we know that people avoid healthcare when they have high cost sharing. So it's clear that the status quo is not going to be sufficient. And if the Republicans fail to repeal the Affordable Care Act, or rather, whether they succeed or whether they fail, people will want more. And there will be an opening at some point for a more substantive change. I hope that that will mean a move towards real universal health care. But again, predicting the, the future politically is way beyond my pay grade. Well, I think that is a perfect place for us to stop. And it's a fantastic paper. We are so excited to have had the opportunity to work with you on this. And we really strongly encourage our listeners to to read through this and, and have a chance to actually look at, at some of the data and, and some of the synthesis and the arguments and what a compelling argument it does make for potential making way of for a universal health care option. So thank you again. Wonderful. Thank you so much for having me. It was a really nice discussion. The United States of Health blog podcast is written and produced by Rebecca Cooney and Aaron Van Dorn in the New York office of The Lancet. Theme music taken from Seeker by Kai Engel. To listen to more podcasts, check out usa.thelancet.com.